lean, lean in a little bit. I got something to tell you. It is episode 258 of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry and even our man Sweet Lou on the production duties. We will try not to make this a two-hour-plus episode because we're not giving our NFL predictions on this particular episode of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, but I digress. Barry Rose. Uh, Barry Rose now, as I called him before we started recording, an NFL wife because Barry Rose folks actually watch the NFL games this weekend. Welcome, Barry. Well, you sure, I got to say, this is the most excited I've heard you in maybe a couple of years, but <laughs> uh, as it would be, uh, Jeff is right. My, the, uh, the lovely Linda is your a, husband. My husband <laughs> is a diehard Eagles fan and has been for decades. And I did make the promise with her as she has attempted to and Jeff, I should say, uh, she has watched Kill Bill Volume 1, 2, and Pulp Fiction over the well, last up couple of days. Yeah, so she's kind of jumped into my world, professional wrestling and uh, and movies, et cetera, and food. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to get into the Eagles deep because you've done all this other stuff. So with that, we spent three hours on the couch watching the Eagles yesterday. And uh, even when that game was over, we, we kind of slid right into the Vikings and Green Bay game, Jeff. You uh, 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 did, did they play yesterday? They the did. They did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're, uh, your number one fanboy, Barry, uh, uh, blaming it on the coach, on the owners, on the general manager. Wah! Wah! Okay. <clears throat> and as it turned out, it was, uh, it was actually a lot of fun. So my husband, she told me, your she said, can we do up. this? Uh, like Dwight Schrute, do you tuck him in? <laughs> I tucked him in and then I stand in front of the mirror and I say, I'd fuck me. Which, <laughs> yes. You fuck me? I'd fuck me. I don't think Dwight ever said that, but uh, Dwight Gellman never did. But Bill, Bill said it though. But Bill said it a few times. But look, it was a fun game, and uh, you know, whatever I can to keep uh, to keep this lovely lady happy, I'm certainly going to give it every attempt. Let me You're tell you about Kill Bill friend. Volume One and Volume Two, though. So Pulp Fiction, she liked, but nowhere near at the level of Kill Bill Volume One and Volume Two, and a lot of that had to do with Uma Thurman. She was a big fan, but the age-old debate, much like does Pineapple Belong on Pizza, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, is Kill Bill Volume 1 or Volume 2 the superior movie? Now, I'll tell you, from my perspective, and I've seen both, I'll say a dozen or so times, maybe more, and I'm sure it's more, I, I will go back and forth. I generally land on the side of Volume 1 because it's got that great scene with uh, Oren Ishii taking place at the nightclub with the crazy 88s. That to me is just one of my favorite scenes. Jeff, I, I tossed this ball. See what I did there? Football. We went from uh-huh. football. Exactly. So I'm lobbing this ball in your direction. Which is better? Kill Bill volume one or volume two? You present a compelling argument, my friend. Well, uh, besides the, uh, the crazy 88s. Uh, who were terrific in that. Uh, I thought you were going to go uh, with the, uh, the Oren Ishii, uh, the, the scene at the table with the head of the, the heads of the different families, uh, literally and figuratively at the end of that scene, one of whom had the temerity to question her parentage. And, uh, she did not take well to that question. Boss so, Tanaka. Yes. I, I I'm going to say, uh, volume one, like you though, uh, tomorrow it might be volume two. So on this particular episode, of Breaking KB with Bowdrin and Barry. Speaking of talking about Japan, our match of the week. Oh, a certain someone out there is going to be extremely happy because he knows we're big uh, Japan fanboys. But 
I will say this is a little different because we're not going to New Japan. We're not going to All Japan. We're not going to the fabled Japanese women. No, Barry Rose. We are going to the very first uh, uh, version of the Universal Wrestling Federation on December 5th, 1984, one of my top 100 of the 80s, as Satoru Sayama, here as Super Tiger, takes on Yoshiaki Fujiwara in a UWF uh, shoot-style match. This was described by Dave Meltzer as the most realistically violent pro wrestling match he'd ever seen in his life. He was actually in Japan at the time, sitting ringside for this match, although I didn't see him uh, on camera. I was looking for that uh, white guy fro that Dave had back in the day. doesn't have it so much anymore, Barry, not that I'm being critical, of course. Sure. So, uh, And then we're going to be offering up a bunch of Florida man or not stories. Uh, let's see. We're going to be, oh, Barry, little AEW talk. I don't know if you've heard this, Barry. A little bit of controversy going on in the AEW. Uh, I was talking to my boy Flaherty last night, uh, and uh, you know he uh, was saying, oh, yeah. AEW needs to fire. I'm not going to say we said they need to fire this guy. Uh, what, what about these guys? And then this guy and then another guy. And you know, so he was quite wound up about it. So we're going to be offering our AEW opinions. So before we get to this special, as we are going to learn later in the episode, Barry, the Gus Machado oh. episode of Breaking Kayfabe, Gus Machado, venerable car salesman from down in Hialeah, Florida, back during the day. A guy who literally you would see everywhere uh, on advertisements in South Florida. Uh, you'll get the reference when we uh, we talk about it. But speaking of Gus Machado and car dealerships, I got a great story that the lovely sainted Mrs. Bowdrin told me the other day. So, Barry Rose, tell me, uh, have you ever had the occasion to take your car into a dealership? Eh, service, oil change, car wash, whatever. All the time, yes. Okay. <laughs> so we have a dealership here around where we live, uh, lots of ads and stuff like that. I'm not going to mention the name of the dealership, although I will say that it is one that has been uh, mentioned uh, on the Facebook group, Breaking Kayfabe about it and Barry, because, uh, you know, when I lived in Cumming, Georgia, no longer lived there, but when I lived in Cumming, Georgia, let's just say there is a dealership that is located in Cumming, Georgia. I'll just say a Toyota dealership, uh, Barry. Uh, that just, it, I, you put this up, you're like, when I lived in coming well no, no. And if, you, okay. if you do a google search barry as we're talking yes. do a google search on toyota dealerships in coming georgia and you're gonna go oh that's why he's emphasizing coming georgia all I right hold on all right toyota dealership coming georgia you asked i am uh gonna do don't this. say the name but you'll go aha Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. So How anyway, could you not? <laughs> so the, uh, th- this person comes in uh, for therapy uh, with my wife. She has some kind of wrist, hand uh, injury, whatever. And so she tells this story about the fact that she had taken, I don't know if it was her car or her son's car. They took it in for some sort of service work at this particular dealership, okay? And, you know, it was like one of these, uh, yeah, drop it off and uh, it'll be ready Tomorrow, right? You get a good chuckle out of the name of that dealership. Well, can I ask why? Because now I'm on the website and they have the home of the blank benefits. <laughs> and exactly. How do you not laugh when you see that? Yes, this is so, great, uh, Jeff. Thank you. It's going to get lots of hits from the. <laughs> oh, it's going to get hits. Yes. <laughs> so, so anyway, so this person, uh, they drop their car off. I don't know if it was going to be ready later in the day or maybe the next day or something like that. And so anyway. So uh, they get a call, you're ready to go, or like whenever it was supposed to be ready, they showed up to pick up their car, okay? So I want you, as I go into this story, Barry, I want you to just imagine Barry Rose, you're at the dealership, you're there to pick up your car that's been worked on, 
and this happens, okay? So they go there, and, you know, they're waiting for them to bring out the, you know, they bring the carp around. Oh, we had it washed and cleaned for you, uh, you know, Mr. Customer, and da, da, da. And so she's waiting, and she's waiting, and she sees some people kind of, uh, kind of, you know, whispering. And that's my Pebble Slimstone impersonation. And so then they're, uh, you know, they're talking to some other people. And at some point, somebody comes over to her and says, well, um, we have a little problem. And she goes, what do you mean you have a little problem? We can't seem to locate your car. She goes, what do you mean? What, you lost my car? No, 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 we didn't lose it. We just, uh, we're having trouble finding it right now. And some more scurrying around uh, goes, hey, it's like when you live in a really dirty house, you flip the lights on at 2 a.m. and the cockroaches all kind of start scurrying around. That's what I'm kind of imagining here. Not that that's ever happened to me, of course, but you understand yeah. So then after a few more minutes, uh, comes back. Oh, well, we've got a little problem here. Uh, we can't find your car. We don't know what happened to it. And she says, well, if you can't find my car, that means it's gone. Perhaps it was stolen. I think we need to call the police and file some sort of uh, report with the police. No, we don't want to do that, of course, because we need to figure, you know, uh, backtracking, if you will. So lo and behold, here's what happens. Okay. Apparently, at the same dealership at the same time, there was. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna give an example of a car, like say a, a Chevrolet Camaro. Okay, and you have a Chevrolet Camaro, Barry. And apparently, at the same time, someone else brought in a Chevrolet Camaro. Okay, and let's just say, for the sake of argument, they were both the same year and the same color. Okay, so apparently, what happened was the guy who had the other Chevrolet Camaro. Left with your Chevrolet Camaro, which begs the question that Mrs. Bowdrin asked me when she was telling me about it. When you get in your car, do you not have things that you have in your car that would identify it as, in fact, your car? I mean, whether it's like you've got something, uh, you know, uh, in the cup holder, you, you've got, you know, like, uh, you know, two dollars and quarters. You've got like, you know, uh, the air freshener hanging from the rear view mirror, whatever. But don't you have something in your car that identifies it, in fact, as your car, Barry? Of course you do, too. So that's, that's what makes this whole thing sound so bizarre. There's, okay. there's going to be something. Look, there, I can go downstairs. Oh, wait, it I gets thought, better. It gets better. Oh, all right. All right. So then they figured out that, uh, let's just say Mr. Smith has taken this woman's car by mistake. Okay. So they call Mr. Smith. Uh, how you doing, uh, Mr. Smith? This is Bob Johnson here at the old uh, Chevrolet dealership. And uh, <clears throat> apparently uh, you took the wrong car home. He says, oh, really? Uh, well, okay. Yes, we uh, we have the person who owns the car uh, here at the dealership. We would like you to return the car to the dealership so that we can, uh, in fact, give her her car and you can take your car. You know what the guy said? Well, you know, honestly, I live about 45 minutes to an hour away from you, uh, and I got some stuff to do. Uh, it might be a while before I get back there. Wow. <laughs> I like what my wife told me. That. I was like, get the fuck out of town. And I, I said, what did it? And she goes, they had, I said, I would have had my ass on the, on the phone with the cops saying, this is where this motherfucker lives. If yeah. he doesn't have this car back to me, like within a half hour, I want you to arrest him for, for taking my car, you know, like, uh, which begs back to the first question, Barry, how do you get into the car? And realize, I mean, unless it's literally a, a car that you purchased that day, 
and it's still got that new car smell and you haven't had a chance to put any new shit in there or, or, you know, you haven't, uh, spilled a drink on the rug where the stain is. Uh, you know, you don't have your Cheetos in the cup holder that you snack on when you're heading back home on your 45 minute to an hour drive back home. How do you fucking not know that that's not your car? Well, or, or you do know and you just decide to say, Hey, let me see what I can actually get out of this or what's going to happen. Because I agree with you, especially if you're in a car. For five minutes, you would know if that's your car or not. I, I just think there's a certain feel you're going to have when you get in. Even if your car is clean, you don't have shit, you don't have your easy pass transponder, whatever it is, you're going to know that this is uh, somebody else's car. So I, well, I, I kind of feel that guy is full of shit. That's well, and how own. about the fact that you get in your car and usually when you go to the dealership, there, the first thing you do is – Oh, uh, my car's ba- uh, the seat is back too far. Or the seat is up yeah, too close. Exactly. There's yep. something that happens, you know, that makes you kind of go, oh, wait a minute. Let me stop and take a, hey, wait a minute. This isn't my fucking car. And then to compound all that, this MFR has the nerve to say, I, I got some errands to run. I'll be there, uh, you know, in a couple hours. I mean, when this guy pulled into the fucking lot, I would have cut a promo on him that he would not have believed. What kind of piece of horse shit are you to fucking be messing around with my car and then tell me you'll get back here when you get back here? Unfucking believable. So just as uh, the addendum to the story, the Paul Harvey moment, if you will. So then, of course, after it all gets corrected, she gets her car back. Now it's time for the dealership to make nice, nice, right? Okay. So you want this woman to be extremely happy when she leaves. Am I right? Much like the disgruntled customer at your restaurant. Uh, you know, uh, what can we do to, uh, make it where you're not going to fucking light us up in social media and tell people what a horrible, uh, horrible dealership we are. So they present her with, I I don't know, different, uh, enticements or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, we'll do X amount of, you know, work on your car without you having to pay for it. Uh, yada, yada, you know, oil changes, tire rotations, all, all that shit that, Quite frankly, they rip you off on at a dealership because, of course, every 2,000 miles, you need to bring it in so we can spin the tires and make sure everything's fine. So they give her, you know, a few different enticements and such. And then when she tries to cash in those enticements, she said the dealership started giving her a, a, a rash of shit about it. Well, I don't know. Let's see if we can, you know, like, really? <laughs> like, just compounding the mistake. Now, I have to tell you. When Kim told me about this and she mentioned this dealership in question, I said, and she said she had another patient that worked there. And the first thing I thought of was because Kim had told me that our lease on one of our cars is up like in six months or so. And I, and before she started telling me the story, I was fixing to say, Oh, Hey, you got a friend at a dealership up here. Maybe they can help us out, put us in a, a nice car for a decent rate or something like that. And then after she told me the story, I said, well, I can tell you right away, we were not going for our next car. Holy shit, Barry. Holy shit. Yeah, too. So, Jeff, do you want to reveal the name of the dealership yet? I am a man where where discretion is the better part of valor. However, uh, Barry, much like you, if our listeners are to go onto uh, the Google and uh, type in uh, particular dealerships in the coming area, and it's a name that I have mentioned once before. I'm not going to do it now. Discretion, better part of valor, as Gordon Soley would say. But it will be easily, uh, you know, 
discoverable. Uh, just don't, uh, do me a favor. Don't sit there and go, oh, Bowder talked about uh, Bob Smith Toyota or whatever. You know, you'll figure out what it is. Don't put the name out there because there's a reason I'm not. And, you know, it's because my wife has, has someone that she's seeing that, you know, potentially works there. And I don't want to put that out there because, of course, obviously they're a part of our Facebook group. But anyway, before we get to our match of the week, our AEW talk, our Florida man or not, I do have one other kind of funny story to share with you. Uh, so Barry, I don't know if you saw me post uh, a couple days ago that uh, the belief was that my Facebook had been hacked. Okay. Right. Yep. And uh, I got a message from my cousin and she said, uh, Hey, I, I just got a friend request from you. Uh, and of course we're already Facebook friends. So uh, you might want to check. I, I think you've been hacked. And then I got something from uh, one of the uh, the moderators of our group saying, did did you post this today? And uh, it was something that I didn't recognize. So now I was like, oh, shit. So so Kim gets home and I said, yeah, listen, uh, there's a there's a chance that I might have been hacked on Facebook. So uh, well, what do we got to do to uh, to alleviate this? You know, and you'd like to think it's not like, oh, go ahead and change the password or whatever. So uh, Kim uh, goes ahead and she uh, she starts to um, look and she does the Google search on how to figure out if you've been hacked and what you can do about it if you have been, okay? So she's going in there, and she says, okay, look at your phone, and uh, tell me this, and I'm looking, and, of course, uh, technologically speaking, I am completely inept, and so I'm like, whoa, am I supposed to do this? No, no, and so eventually I have to hand her the phone, okay? So she's looking at the directions, then looking at my phone, I'm, you know, like, there's a reason that uh, if anything ever happened to her, I'd be completely fucking uh, ruined, Barry. But she says, you're supposed to look to see the last uh, uh, Facebook group that you, you know, like became part of or that you, uh, you know, were accepted by or whatever. And, you know, maybe that's a clue as to uh, to where it happened or like, you know, who friend requested you and you've accepted them. And now, like, you're starting to have problems. Maybe that's a clue. So anyway, so Kim is, Kim is looking at my Facebook page, okay? And she's looking, and there's a way you go in, and you figure out what's the last group you joined. <clears throat> Are you ready, Barry Rose? <laughs> I am ready. The last group that I joined <laughs> is called Retro Girls with Curves. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say, there's no nudity. Oh, uh, you know, it's just like uh, pictures of like Raquel Welch, Dolly Parton, people like that. And so when she sees what the group is, she turns and looks at me. <laughs> Like kind of raises the old eyebrow. So Barry Rose, my my wife is tremendous and she is she doesn't give a shit about anything really, but just yeah. the way she looked at me, she wasn't mad. I wasn't in any kind of trouble. But of course, the first response to a guy when you're cornered like that is to do what, Barry? Oh, that's not me. I don't, no, I don't know who this is. I have nothing to do with this. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, close. <laughs> my first response was Flaherty uh, sent me an invite to that page. There you go. Yes, exactly. Nice. Oh, immediately blame someone else. It's the Dennis Rodman theory. Are you going to believe me or your lion eyes, lady? So on that note, Barry Rose, what do you say we go to our match of the week? All right, his lordship, it is time once again for us to go to our match of the week. This week we are going to December 5th, 1984. In Korokan Hall in Tokyo, a, uh, a promotion, Barry, quite honestly, that we have not done a lot of their matches. And maybe we should because it's definitely a very interesting thing to look at. We are talking the original Universal Wrestling Federation, the UWF, that was out of Japan. 
And we are talking Yoshiaki Fujiwara versus Satoru Sayama under the hood as the Super Tiger Barry. This is one of my matches of the 80s. So before I throw it to you for your thoughts, Barry, I will tell you that when I look back uh, on my uh, my notes that I originally did, you know, circa 1990-ish or whatever, apparently Dave Meltzer was in Japan at the time this match took place and was at, at you know, I'm sure he had pretty decent seats. I don't know if you know this, Meltzer, sometimes he has the hookups for good seats. Ah, Barry. okay. Uh, and he wrote at the time that this was, quote, the most brutal and realistically violent match in pro wrestling history. So, Barry Rose, with that caveat, tell me what you thought of this match that was in my top 100 of the 1980s. Sure. And before I get into it, Jeff, two two quick things. One, Dave Meltzer taking a lot of heat lately, which you may or may not be aware of. Uh, and secondly, do you is that unusual at this point? I don't. Well, know. this is this seems even deeper uh, because people are really going for him over the whole AEW uh, kerfluffle. Do you remember where you were in December of 1984? Uh, let's see. December 1984, not married yet. Oh. Uh, I was I was engaged to a she who should not be named, uh, the soon-to-be Mrs. Bowger number one. So I was, I believe I was a assistant manager at the Hialeah uh, Toys R Us. Mm. On Venerable 49th Street, uh, not too far from Gus Machado. <laughs> you know those Gus, <laughs> the Gus Machado's commercials? Sure, I remember. I'm Gus Machado. Yes. <laughs> a very thick Cuban accent. Uh, those were, that was good times. I believe, so, Jeff, and I we, may be. We got incorrect. away from Fujiwara and Super Tiger. To of talk course about we did. I may be, the but. The Gus Machado episode, Barry. I don't believe that. <laughs> the Gus Machado episode. I don't think you're fluent in Spanish. How was it working deep oh, it in was, Hialeah? Oh, my God. I, I remember being uh, literally cursed at by a, a Cuban woman. Uh, or well, Actually, I shouldn't say that. Maybe because we had a, during the Christmas season, you would get a lot of people from uh, South America. Ven- and this was a time when Venezuela was an extremely affluent country. And uh, people who had a lot of money would fly up literally for a weekend uh, to uh, to Miami to do Christmas shopping for their kids. And they would go in. Uh, and they would just like load up a couple of shopping carts with toys yep. for their children and they'd get to the register and just start whipping out the hundreds. Boom, 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 boom. And it, like they wouldn't even blink an eye. And so some lady came up and said, uh, you know, say, habla espanol. And I go, uh, no, sorry, I don't. And she looked at me and she goes, you're going to work in the high alia. You need to speak, uh, learn to speak the Spanish. And, uh, I said, well, uh, sorry about that. You know, so, uh, yeah, good time yeah. for. Working the 18 ways. hour shifts for salary, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. Welcome to management, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. okay, nice way to guess. Yeah, stay hourly. You'll make more money, but that's, uh, that's interesting. We have a similar area up in right outside of Philly called King of Prussia, which is a very high end shopping district. That's where it's, Jamie Ward lives, right? In the uh, affluent area of Philadelphia. Jamie's not too far. Jamie and I and. Max Spiker, Chris Spiker, Mrs. Spiker. Now, Mac, I know, is very affluent. Uh, Absolutely. You know. We all had dinner in King of Prussia a couple of weeks back, but a lot of people from South America will come up. Don't worry. We're, actually... we're going to get to the match, folks. I promise. Oh, yeah, we'll get there at some point. They've got several hotels within the mall where these these tourists, these shoppers will come and stay, and all they do is go shopping for three days and then go back home. So it's crazy. But, yeah, Jeff, we should get to the match. I got to say, when you sent me this match, 
I was, I guess, initially confused because I'm going, well, let's see. Sayama's kind of a high flyer and an innovator. Fujiwara is a guy that works on the mat, kind of a, a ground and pound style in some ways. So how is this going to work out? Obviously clicked on it, saw it was the UWF. And if I recall correctly, the UWF was essentially worked shoots. And the fact that it was trying to be as realistic as possible, they would lay into each other at times, but the the outcome was already predetermined. Is that correct? Yes. And I remember the most famous case of all of that was Bob Backlund came over and got his ass beat. Do you remember that match? Well, that happened in the, I believe, in the UWFI. Oh, well, that was that with was, the I. Okay. And that's the promote. I want to say that was... Mm, like uh latter part of the 80s, early part of the 90s, and I think it might have been a match with uh Nobuhiko Takada. I, it was Takada, mistaken. Suzuki, it was somebody, and I yeah. remember he came out with one of the worst-looking black guys I've ever seen. And I should say at this stage, too, I hear that Bob has some health issues. We discussed that previously. I, it's not getting better, and uh our well wishes to him. I think in his heart, there he's probably the nicest guy that has ever lived. He's just a wonderful guy. But with that, this match, very confused initially, thinking, how is it going to work? But let me tell you, boy, does this match work. And it really works on a couple of different levels. So Sayama is a different Sayama. He is essentially grounded for this match. He's not doing high flying. I don't think he leaves his feet as far as, you know, doing any any spectacular maneuvers. Always known for his kicks, which he incorporates as kicks here. Sayama, I guess, in a sense, th- this was Fujiwara's baby as well. So Fujiwara definitely takes the early lead. He gets Sayama into the ring ropes, and this is about seven minutes into the match. The first seven minutes were basically them tying each other up, mostly uh, Fujiwara in control tying up Sayama in holds that you pray you'll never be in. And he gets him into the ring corner and starts to lay body blows. Now, in most cases, I think I can tell the difference between a worked punch and a shoot punch. I believe these shots were 100% legitimate. He was laying him in to Sayama's midsection, his kidneys, his back. And boy, I was feeling it sitting on the couch watching this. Sayama reverses this within a couple of minutes and he starts with his kicks and he's basically unloading kicks on Sayama that you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy or maybe would wish upon your worst enemy. Fujiwara's game plan here. And again, I, I realize it's a weird thing to say when it's a work, but Fujiwara essentially starts tying him up and he's got Sayama in some hook shoot holds that I've never seen before. And I know he was a master at this, uh, still may be at even his advanced age, but unbelievable. But Sayama rallies from this and starts doing these kicks to Fujiwara's head that were essentially soccer kicks. And the way that he's turning his ankle when he lands them, these are, these are landing. Uh, that there's no question. You can slow motion this. You can freeze frame it like I did. These kicks are landing and he's landing into, uh, into Fujiwara's head. Then as Fujiwara is down, Sayama is jumping 
and literally he's as high as the top rope and comes crashing down knee first on Fujiwara's head, and there's nothing stopping Sayama. He's not landing with the other foot. The the point of contact is the knee on the head. That is frighteningly dangerous as I watch this. And to, to echo Meltzer's point, I 100% agree. Up until that stage, this might be the most realistically violent pro wrestling match I had ever seen. Repeated kicks to Fujiwara's head and the referee Fujiwara stumbles into uh, a ring corner and the referee basically calls the match and gives it to Sayama. And at the end of this, uh, Sayama, ever the gentleman, goes over, checks on Fujiwara. Fujiwara eventually gets up. He's clearly dazed. I, I, that's not a work. And one of the young boys gives him a towel, puts it on his shoulders, and Fujiwara takes it and rips it off and throws it on the ground. He clearly seems upset. But I got to say, the revelation of this matchup was the punishment and brutality that both guys took. And again, if you tell me that even though the finish was a work, but if you tell me that the kicks, the knees, and the strikes from both guys are a work, then guess what? This fan of 51 years, it'll be 51 years in November, just showing I'm as old as fucking dirt at this point. 51 years, I would have bought this hook, line, and sinker. This is the most realistic work match I have ever seen in my life. For that, on the Chris Zaha scale, a bazillion stars. So the UWFI, or I'm sorry, the UWF, uh, in its original form, was, I believe, the creation of three men that were uh, Sayama. Uh, it was, uh, Hiro- I think it's Hiroshi Shinma, who had been the president of New Japan, who was kind of forced out of office in a scandal. And the third man was Carl Gotch. Uh, these guys were all uh, students and proponents of Gotch's style. And I- I've said this before, Gotch was a real fan of the style that Fujiwara, you know, uses here. He, he likes the ground and pound, the hooks, you know, I shouldn't say the hooks, the, the holds, uh, where you basically are, uh, you know, you want your man to suffer the most that he can. He was not a fan of the Sayama, uh, the kicks that Sayama, Maeda, uh, Yamazaki and guys like that used, uh, which brings me to the question, Barry, uh, as a discussion point. I had this on my top 100 wrestling matches of the 1980s, okay? So how do you judge a match like this with a match we reviewed a couple weeks ago with the New Fabulous Ones versus the PYTs? (laughs) Right. I mean, really, are they the the same thing, or is it like completely in a completely different way should be graded? What do you think? Yeah, and I think, if anything, I think we should give ourselves props because we – we objectively can look at both of these matches and praise and accept them for what they are, even though they're vastly different, right? Yeah, that's true. So uh, the, the match starts out. A uh, couple things interesting to me uh, during the intros is, of course, the ladies come and they pre- present flowers to the wrestlers. And Fujiwara, uh, you know, he's, he's playing the heel. He grabs the uh, bouquet of flowers and throws them into the crowd. And the crowd goes, ooh. Did you notice, though, Barry, during the ring introductions, this is something that I never – have heard before, and I just thought it was really interesting. The ring announcer, of course, is introducing Sayama and, and Fujiwara, and of course, he's doing it in Japanese. 
But as he's doing it and he's describing the match, you actually hear the word shooting, which oh, is wow. that is really crazy as a pro wrestling fan to hear the word shooting uh, as you're watching a pro wrestling match. So um, the other thing I wanted to point out, and I've said this again before, but just to remind people, Fujiwara essentially is 1980s Minoru Suzuki. Uh, you know, same kind of aura of violence about him, same sinister smile, same guy that when you're you're punching him in the face or kick him in the head, he kind of just looks at you with this like sinister smile. Another guy, and I said this about Suzuki, uh, Fujiwara would have made a great Bond villain or uh, not even right. Bond villain, movie villain, because yeah. he just has a presence and a look. Uh, and I really think he would have been great in that role. The uh, first move that I made a note out of was uh, Fujiwara goes for a, a top wrist lock very early in the match. Uh, and uh, the other thing, uh, you know, uh, what do you think about this match? If you're presenting it as a true uh, shooting style match, okay, one of the things when UFC first started out, I remember uh, back in the days where it was like the Gracies versus like Dan Severin, those kind of guys, and there wasn't as much. First of all, not nearly as much showmanship as there is. And let's be honest. There's a certain amount of showmanship, uh, you know, uh, in the, the UFC with the promos and the whole weigh-ins and all that kind of stuff. But if you have a match that's essentially, uh, you know, like a, uh, let's be honest, almost like a, a, an amateur kind of style match or a shooting match, it, it's going to be a match that's not going to have a lot for the crowd to invest themselves in, especially if it goes, you know, uh, very long. Uh, just guys exchanging top wrist locks and stuff like that, you're going to eventually, unless it's a very knowledgeable audience, and there are audiences were very knowledgeable, but you're going to get a certain amount of, of people that are going to go, uh, okay, what am I watching here? So you have the kicks that are thrown in, uh, and they add a level of, of flair and excitement to the match. But do you think that in some way them doing that, and remembering what I said that Carl Gotch was not a fan of the kicks and stuff, do you think they've sacrificed any legitimacy for the sake of the showmanship? What do you think? I don't, I, I think you can make a case in some of the matches. Yes. I don't think in this particular match, because again, those, I know that Gotch was against the kicks and stuff. He was, it, for him, it was more hook and shoot on the mat, but those kicks are just devastating right like when you look at it i'm going oh my god frightening so no i don't think and i look if you were to watch a a hook and shoot type of match where guys were just simply wrestling odds are you're going to be bored right i mean you're not going to see a punch you're not going to see you know anything you're going to be a little bored with it i will say the exception i think was kind of the uh, Wheeler Yuta Daniel Garcia match that took place recently on AEW Dynamite, where they were under Ring of Honor pure rules, which don't allow punches and certain things like that. But for the most part, I I like what the UWF was offering. I know Gotch was a stickler, right? And Gotch was one of those guys. Uh, he was the original get off my lawn. He was the original cranky old man, right? He was, and he wouldn't put up with any shit. And if he was unhappy, he and Fez. They would just, that was it. They were out. I don't think they were sacrificing anything, though, my opinion. I smell a question for Joe Malenko at the uh, the Legends fans. Just don't tell him I said that, okay? <laughs> I don't need to get my ass stretched, all right? <laughs> so the, the other question, uh, you know, and by the way, the ring is the miking that's done for the ring. You hear every grunt, 
uh, every, you know, like, uh, people, uh, you know, like putting over how, you know, badly they're being hurt. The, the breathing that's going on is as, uh, there was a, a moment when Fujiwara is like at a rear chin lock on, uh, Sayama and Sayama starts coughing to sell the, uh, the move. And the, the, uh, the mics around the ring literally pick up every little thing that's going on and it adds to the legitimacy of the match. And, uh, I thought that was really effective. So I did want to ask you, speaking of Gotch, Gotch, I believe his son-in-law was, I can't remember his first name. Uh, the last name was Soranaka. Oh, Sammy, Sammy Soranaka. Yeah. Was he yeah. the referee in this match? Shit. Now that you say it, I think he was. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you got to show that I know some stuff every once wow. in a while. Wow. So, 19-minute yeah. match, uh, or 19-minute mark, Sayama does a spinning back kick to the stomach of Fujiwara, and then he follows it with a kick to his head. And I want you, if you watch this match, to to mark that moment, because literally, when I saw it, I was like, holy shit, what was that? It was, And then he continues, as Barry mentioned, the shots with the kicks to the head of Fujiwara, and you get to a point where the latter part of the match, like the last mm, five to ten minutes of the match, is a lot of Fujiwara. And, and I mean this in the highest possible praise. I'm not being derogatory at all. He plays almost like a punch drunk guy who's holding on and he gets up and then he gets kicked and he goes back down again. Almost like a little Rocky vibe to it, you know. And he's just holding on. And then eventually... Sayama wins by TKO, 27 minutes in. Just an incredible uh, exhibition of wrestling. This is not something where you're going to see high spots. This is not something where you're going to see, uh, you know, uh, tope suicidas, uh, no pescados. This is two guys that are going in trying to present as realistic a, uh, a combat sport involving wrestling holes, chain wrestling, striking moves, and it is something that is Absolutely, completely different. And I'd really, as you watch this match, and we'll post it in, in a link in our group, I'm interested to see people that have never seen this match before. I'm interested to see what they think because this is something different, folks. And this has this is more UFC than it is pro wrestling, Barry. What do you think about that? Oh, it's 100%. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, so we will post a link to this match. Yoshiaki Fujiwara, uh, who, by the way, is a guy that I always, whenever the Observer Hall of Fame uh, ballots go out, He's a guy that I always put on there because you, you watch this match. This guy, this guy fucking deserves to be in the Observer Hall of Fame. Barry, I think at this point, uh, we need to kind of address, uh, I hate to say the elephant in the room, uh, but AEW's, I don't know if you heard Barry, they've been going through some stuff. Uh, you know, who knew, uh, that, uh, this implosion was going to happen. Uh, and you know, it's very interesting because we have seen a lot of posts in our group and in different social media, uh, sites and, uh, as the youngsters say, platforms. But the shit kind of hit the fan after the pay per view and with Punk and with the, uh, the Bucks and with Kenny Omega. And you know, you get the side that's like, oh, it's the fucking the young Bucks, man. They suck and they're the reason this happened. And then you get the, it's Kenny Omega. And then you get the other side, which is fucking Punk always causes drama. So Barry Rose, tell us your thoughts on AEW. Yeah. And I, I think it would be fair to say, you By the way, I, was that a pretty pretty good representation of what we've seen in the group? <laughs> Let me tell you something, dude. This fucking box man, I could super kick the shit out of those bros, right? 
you're, I mean, you often use the word bro, do you? Yeah, you know what? You should punch anybody in the face that uses the word bro. Am I right about that? Especially yeah. Vince Russo. My yeah. God. Okay, bro. First of all, bro. bro. Let me tell you something, bro. Oh my God. So let, let's put a caveat on this, Jeff. You and I, even though we're part of Arcadian Vanguard and essentially the owner operator, Brian Last is not so much an AEW fan, though he does point out occasional good spots. And he works hand in hand with Jim Cornette. They have been super critical of AEW, especially Jimmy. But with that, a lot of people online have, and we've called certain people out for it. And a lot of those things I felt were very unfair and very unjust. However, in wanting to be, and, and look, you and I have never claimed to be journalists because essentially we're not. We're a couple of guys who love professional wrestling, food, music, sports, life, etc. It's time that maybe I'll speak for myself with this one, Jeff. Though I usually do speak for both of us, especially when we go out. Well, you like when I order for you when we go out for dinner and stuff. That's different. That is, I I agree with you, and it's you know, it's I I know how rare occasions you pay. I really like that's and that's a really rare occasion. Let's be honest, but it is. it's, I think it's incumbent upon us to be very honest in this situation and say AEW has become a clusterfuck all the way around. And, and while I at times am defensive of Tony Khan, you know, I, whenever I see that Tony Khan is doing coke, it always irritates. He has a health issue. He's got a thyroid condition. He's got issues. It's, and he may be a cokehead, but that's not the reason his eyes are bulging out of his head. It's a health issue. So when you mock Tony Khan, realize you're mocking a guy with a health issue. You wouldn't do that to somebody with cerebral palsy. God, I hope that you wouldn't do that or some other ailment. So I don't know. I, I just that always rubs me the wrong way. But with that, he he has helped create this situation. And I'm going to tell you exactly why. He Tony has been a huge proponent, first off, of the the quote-unquote workshoot interview, and whether that was MJF coming out and doing it multiple times, Christian Cage coming out and doing it multiple times, he's facilitated this environment, this culture, where it's okay to shoot because it adds realism to the words that are being spoken. And while I enjoy that, that's also created this situation. Why? CM Punk, that's why. CM Punk has multiple times gone into business for himself without any regard to the company. And I know Kevin Orcutt right now is getting on a plane to come to Philly and uh, kick my ass because he loves CM Punk. But CM Punk is as guilty as the Young Bucks, as Tony Khan is, as Kenny Omega is. As in anybody in this situation, they're all guilty. They're all wrong. They have all fucked up tremendously. Punk calling people out uh, and doing it at a press conference or on live television, and it's a shoot. Adam Page going into business for himself and bringing up the cold cabana situation. Tony Khan for massaging the shoulders of these guys and telling them that it's okay to do this is wrong. Then you've got the executive vice presidents waiting in the hallway to approach Punk after his words. I mean, and let's be honest, these executive VPs have completely fucked up. 
And I think it's great if you want to put these guys on TV in a, in a wrestling role. I don't have an issue. I still think the Young Bucks and matches can have really interesting, good matches. The same with Omega. But putting them in a role and then finding out after the fact that they're in this VP role that essentially it's become clickish in the locker room. You've got the Bucks click. You've got the FTR clicks. You've got several clicks, and nobody's feeling comfortable with that. So this is a fucked up situation, and the biggest loser is us. It's the wrestling fans that have enjoyed the product. Because why do I say that? Last night I turned on AEW, and I don't think we had our first match until 30 minutes in. And it reminded me of Raw. You've got one guy giving an interview after or a promo after another guy. And Tony Khan's wedged in there between Moxley and MJF and Chris Jericho. And then a match takes place. And while I say it was a decent match, all things considered, I I think... I think Tony has got to seriously take a look at his roster and go, you know, this Chuck Taylor guy has just been a real company guy. Do I need to put him in the opening match? Does he need to be on Rampage all the time? And I'm not a Chuck Taylor fan. He could be the greatest guy ever. This guy shouldn't be on TV on a major promotion uh, having competitive matches, maybe doing the job, whatever, but it shouldn't be. But he's got this roster of talent. And I feel like we're seeing a lot of the same guys on a weekly basis. Bobby Fish is gone. I don't know all the, I don't think anybody knows all the, the details of that though. The stories are out there. We haven't seen Adam Cole or Kyle O'Reilly in a couple of weeks. There's just, you know, but they're featuring some guys that I'm, and I know he loves Daniel Garcia and you know what? Daniel Garcia. And this is where let's, let's praise AEW as we're giving them a lot of shit, which they deserve. He's done a great job as far as guys like uh, organically, Daniel Garcia, MJF, guys that weren't huge anywhere else. Wheeler, my God, Wheeler Yuta, the development of Wheeler Yuta from the first time we saw him to what he was last night. And again, you got to give Wheeler Yuta a lot of this credit also. That's unbelievable, Jeff. Like, to me, Wheeler Ute is great. And I, I remember joking on Wheeler Ute in the early days going, wow, what are they doing with this guy? Why, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Wheeler Ute has become a stud in professional wrestling. And I would have to think Wheeler Ute's career is made, whether it's AEW or anywhere else. And look, I, I think he'd be better off sticking around Japan because he was obviously made to work that kind of style, but they have done a great job in, in organically developing some of their guys, but you've got all these missed opportunities of these large contracts. And the irony is, I don't know how much Wheeler Yuta is getting per year, but I'll tell you what, Miro's getting a shit ton of money and we see him how often Malachi Black apparently was released, got his unconditional release last Sunday. Uh, yeah, I, I've heard conflicting stories about that. I've heard that uh, I'm talking about Malachi Black. I've sure. heard that that he he had like a five year contract, and they basically uh, sort of let him go because apparently he was saying that he had some mental health concerns along with some physical problems, and so they basically sent him home and said, you know, go deal with your your personal issues and your private issues. 
but it wasn't necessarily, uh, we're letting you go. You can go back to the Federation at this point. You know, I, I don't know if it went that far, but um, I interrupted. Please continue. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, but I, that's the kind of discussion I actually like when we're doing this stuff. It's So what I've read about Malachi Black, taking it all into account, and then I'm going to give you a huge compliment on that, Jeff. I don't know if it's a huge compliment, but certainly a little something. I'll be the judge of that. Yes, you will. But I've heard that he asked for his unconditional release. I did hear that he canceled an appearance over this upcoming weekend that was based off of mental health concerns. But they've been a little quiet about a lot of it. However, granting him his release, why not just give him time off? Go deal with your issues. AEW will be here. We want you to come back. Instead, here's a guy, and this is where I was going to give you the praise. You said this months ago. What the fuck are they doing with Malachi Black? He should be in the top program in the company, and instead he's he's part of a six-man trio that is working on Rampage instead of being the focus of something. And you're right. Malachi Black, it was, the WWE did the same thing. And look, maybe there's something behind the scenes because now it's happened in two different companies. But Malachi Black, when I saw him and you, you saw him and you said this as well, the guy had money printed all over him. This was a guy that, you know, if I was doing a, uh, a mock draft or some sort of, uh, you know, fantasy wrestling. And I don't even get me started on the fantasy wrestling guys, Jeff, because that'll be a whole another story. But they fucked up. Here was a guy that should have been pushed to the top. He should have been in every program. He should have, you know, it should have been all about Malachi Black. Instead, he's literally non-existent. He's in a, a six-man Buddy Matthews, whatever they're calling him now. This guy's phenomenal. Even Brody King is doing a great job. And when I say Brody King, I think immediately of Cody Rhodes and his last shoot promo on AEW where he talked about Brody King and said, how does a guy named Brody come into our promotion? Obviously referencing Brody Lee, which was really a slap in Brody King's face. That's the issue. You've taken this shoot shift way too far for too long because you thought it was interesting. And granted, so do, so do I. It's now hurting the company because guys are just doing it all the time and feelings are getting hurt and shit, shit's happening. With that, CM Punk, I have to put a lot of the blame on CM Punk on this one. He is a diva. He has shown time and time again that he's a diva. He is not a great professional wrestler by any stretch. He was having average matches in AEW. Seven years off is a, is a way too long. And our, our good friend, Michael Volgari, who, by the way, will be making his CWF Legends Fan Fest debut in a couple of months. Thanks. To uh, where Wrestling. is that Fan Fest again, Barry? Oh, that's happening in the Tampa suburb of Lutz on November oh, the 5th. Yeah. And that's to the generosity and uh, the good nature of Janabelle Seacrest and Frankie Seacrest uh, that'll be here. But he said, he goes, you know, Punk takes off seven years, comes back. I think he's had matches that you can count on two hands like I don't think he's exceeded 10 matches I might be wrong he's been seriously injured twice I believe injured three times two of them were serious and his body just wasn't made to do that with that he's the guy he brings fucking trouble with him and uh it's just you know I I was so happy when he came back but I gotta say now I believe it's been a complete and utter failure 
The only way it would have been considered a success, Jeff, in my opinion, is if he was putting butts in seats and he's selling merchandise. That I get. Business is business. In ring, and and I guess what he's done to the locker room, I'd have to say he's been a huge failure. I would I would hope Punk is terminated again, Kevin. I apologize. This well, is not I tell personal. You what, sure. Let, let me just play devil's advocate here because okay. you know there was a thread uh, about him, and I saw that uh, our friend Flaherty uh, was you know commenting on it. And one of the things that he said to me was, you know, he sells merchandise, uh, you know, and so let's just say that Dave's right that he's a guy that moves merchandise. And he puts asses in the seats, at least in Chicago. I don't know if he has that impact all over the country, but it's pretty well established that he's a huge draw in Chicago at the very least. Okay. And when that, yes. when that music hits, it's a huge pop from the audience. He comes out there. He does a really good job on his promos, but then the bell rings and you know, you may be absolutely correct. Maybe, uh, you know, people don't want to hear this, but. I guess the question I want to ask you playing devil's advocate is what he brings selling merchandise. And uh, interestingly, uh, our friend Jeff Zinger was at the show in Buffalo at the time we're recording this last evening. And he said they still had CM Punk shirts for sale. And I said, did they have them discounted? And he said, nope. But is what he brings in merchandise sales is what he brings, you know, Chicago and, you know, maybe other parts of the country where he puts ass in the seats. Is he worth all the drama that he might be causing, Barry? So you know who can answer that question? Tony Khan. Yeah, please. Because Tony Khan sees the business ledgers and Tony Khan. Lou, get Tony you. Khan on the phone for us. Tony Khan can answer how much merchandise punk moves and how, how I guess, what ticket sales are like in Chicago. I think, and I don't know, and I would imagine both are great. With that, Here's something to think about since you bring that up. If he fires CM Punk, do people in Chicago stop going to AEW shows? Do they lose that town, or is that town dramatically reduced as far as seats? Or um, do they, they have people in Chicago show up and basically make turn it into a rally for Punk? That's what will happen, though, right? Yeah. I mean, that's I think that's At least the first time it will. But is the bigger picture is, look, all this drama – has it's a sports illustrated story this isn't lost on warner brothers media right like this isn't going to be lost on tbs so it's uh this is something i think the bigger picture is i think he's doing more harm than good i would however possibly bring back kenny omega in the bucks but the difference is i would bring them back as talent only and I would not bring them back as in any sort of executive vice president role or anything having to do with that. Of course, what that also opens up is I would I would bet money that the WWE would go for these guys. That if they if these guys are on the open market, and I think Punk is safe. I don't think Punk could ever go back. Would be my understanding. He's got heat with apparently everybody in the WWE locker room. But with that, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bucks or Kenny Omega ever wind up in the WWE if they get terminated, because I think that, I mean, it would be a smart business move. Whether you love the Bucks, hate them, whatever, it doesn't matter. Showing that, you know, WWE could be a home 
for disgruntled AEW workers, much the reverse of what it was a couple of years ago, I think would benefit them greatly. So long story short, I think everybody, I think Punk needs to be fired. Ace Steel, I mean, do we give a shit? I don't, no offense, Ace, but I mean, we don't know anything about him. And I think the Bucks and Kenny Omega at the very least need to be stripped of any executive title, uh, with that, Jeff. So, you know, when, when all this kind of, uh, happened, uh, I had all these people reaching out to me, you know, asking me what I thought. I was reaching out to people asking them uh, what's going on. There, there was a, a post in the group that said, Oh, this is a complete fucking work, you know, and these are, these are people that, have been around the wrestling business for a while, uh, you know, and there is, I think, a tendency amongst not necessarily just newer fans, long-term fans to think that anything in wrestling must be a fucking work. Okay. Right. There, there are people out there that will tell you, oh, the NFL, it's a work that they, they, they know what's going on. There's a, there's a wrestler that's been at the fan fest that has espoused that theory for many years that all sports are worked. Now, so I, I had a friend of mine reach out to me and we were talking about it and he said, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Sharif Khan, who is Tony's father and who is the guy that's the billionaire. Okay. Yep. Didn't call his son into the office and go, okay, we got the Jaguars to run. We got the, uh, the, the premier, uh, the English premier league uh, team to run. We've got all these business interests. Who needs this headache that these wrestlers are causing us? Shut this stuff down. Now, first of all, oh, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. How completely incredible would that be if that scenario was even considered? And then I'll continue. I mean, it, I've never thought about that. It would be incredible. And I got to say, as somebody, as this being the only wrestling I watch anymore. I think I would I would really be kind of bummed out. I would, I, which is a nice word for saying I would I would be like really fucking bummed out. Yes. Yeah. No. No. I can get that. And yeah. again, I'm not saying uh, it was ever even discussed. I'm just saying I thought that was kind of an interesting, uh, a little food for thought there. I don't think it would happen by any measure because, of course, contractually speaking, that they have obligations uh, to the network and, and all these other, uh, you know, companies and, and et cetera. But, you know, when I first heard it, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, well, what's the old line? Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And this is one fucking tangled web, Barry Rose. And who, is. who is responsible? Is it punk? Is it the young bucks? Is it Kenny Omega? Uh, I'm sure that uh people that are fans of punk and people that are friends with punk or have worked with punk in the past want to put this all on the bucks and Kenny Omega. And I don't know that that's true. Now in the opposite corner, do I put all of this on CM Punk? No, but you know, one of the things uh that I was, uh, as I was texting with somebody last night, I said, you know, and again, I missed the whole CM Punk thing. Uh, when he was in ROH, uh, I never, I, I know it was supposed to be a great product, but I just never got into ROH. I'm sure at this right. point, what's going, Oh, you got to watch the match from 2007, uh, you know, something like that. Uh, you know, but I missed that whole run. I missed the whole WWE run when he did the pipe bomb. I mean, I know he did the pipe bomb, but I mean, I missed that whole thing. And then of course he goes to UFC where he apparently got his ass kicked. 
But the one thing I said to someone last night is, yeah, there sure seems to be a lot of drama with this guy wherever he goes. You know, he, he does have positive qualities. Again, merch sales. He's a great promo guy. I don't think anyone disputes that. Uh, you know, it puts asses in the seats in different uh, parts of the country. But, you know, it's funny because before we started recording, Barry, we were talking about a particular person and I said, yeah, is this person really worth the drama that's going to come with him? Right. And, you know, you then said, well, you know, it's kind of one of these things. And you have to ask yourself before we go on, just tell me, do you think CM Punk is worth the drama that comes with him? No. He's okay. Not. Do you think the Young Bucks, and I'll get to Kenny Omega in a second, are the Young Bucks worth the drama that they've now created? I'd have to know what level of – besides this situation, I'd have to know what level of drama that is. However, if what I've been hearing about these factions in the locker room and freezing certain guys out because they're not in this clique, and then certainly what they did with this – I would, I'd cut the bucks as well. Okay. And uh, what about Omega? I, I, I'm going to keep Omega and the bucks as one unit without knowing all the details. I only know what's out there right now. And it, it, there are certain gaps and holes. So I don't know. Okay. But I would say I, with that, I would say if Omega is equally as guilty from what we've been reading, he should go as well. Okay. So now let's get to Tony Khan. And what I think uh, Tony Khan should do, I think, number one, to use a phrase, I think Tony Khan, more than perhaps any time in the company's history, since literally the first show that came on the air, he needs to show a strong pimp hand here. He needs to, you know, like not do the, you know, there was that uh, supposedly that dressing room a uh, bit where all the guys were gathered and Tony basically read them the riot act. And then afterwards, Kenny Omega decides to chew everybody else out. And, you know, uh, whereas I think Tony was being more uh, assertive and firm handed. And then Omega kind of, I think I read was, it came off kind of more as an asshole, you know, and, right. and you know, I think Tony Khan needs to sit there and, and say, look, th- this shit's not going to fly. You know, I, I got a business to run. And if you guys are, are disrupting my business, you know, uh, sorry, <laughs> you know, uh, you can stay home for, uh, you know, the next, uh, three months or, uh, you know, whatever. Hey, I don't know the whole firing thing. You're right. Maybe CM Punk does not have anywhere else to go. You're absolutely right. The Bucks and Omega. I think even more so than like, Hey, bringing them into the, the Federation and using them. Uh, I, I think they would have to know that. They're going to be made an example of, you know, much like Vince would always do. You know, they're going to come in and guess what? That first night <laughs> you're losing about three minutes, my man, you know, right. and because they're going to get put over. I think I don't know about the Young Bucks. I think Omega would certainly have a route uh, back to New Japan uh, where I think he would be welcome back. And maybe that's the place he needs to go. So, you know, where he just, you know, cannot be part of the the structure of the, uh, you know, uh, executive committee or the VP or whatever, and, and just be a wrestler again. That being said, you know, Kenny Omega is not a 25 year old guy. Uh, he's, uh, do you know exactly how, I think he's late thirties, maybe even 40 at this point. Do you know? I, I don't know how old he is. Okay. I, I, but I, you know, he's kind of been around for a little bit. Uh, so if he was to do that, does he have a very long window to go through where he's going to be? as part of New Japan's hierarchy in the, uh, you know, as far as the talent, is he going to have a big run? 
Or does he sit there and think, well, you know, I go to the Federation and, uh, you know, I can uh, get paid and not have to deal with the stress of coming through and being, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, what's his old gimmick? Mr. Uh, five star match or the what, what is it? He calls himself. That's his gimmick, like Mr. Uh, match of the match of the night or match of the year guy. The sweeper is all I know. Yeah. yeah but, uh, you know, uh, actually, it's the cleaner. Uh, but um, the cleaner. Right. So. Shows you how much I know, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I, I think that that Tony Khan needs to basically call these guys out, and you know, you know, the, the first thing I thought of when I was thinking about this, and I and I was talking to somebody, I said, "Look, I said, what he needs to do is separate himself from the the people that were part of this." Okay, he needs to bring in Jericho, he needs to bring in uh, Brian Danielson, he needs to bring in Stephen Regal, and maybe one or two other. Uh, I'm sorry, Dustin Rhodes. Guys that are veterans that have been around for a while and say, all right, guys, I need to make a very hard decision here. I wanted to get all your input. Tell me your opinion on what the hell I should do in this situation. Okay. I don't want him to go by just what Jericho says or what Danielson or Regal or, or, or Dustin said, but get the input from these veterans that have seen things and know things far greater than Tony has in his experience. Okay. And use their input to be able to uh, formulate an intelligent, you know, informed decision so that he can do what's best for his company. You know, first of all, the company is already well bloated past what it needs to be. You know, we talked about how, you know, Malachi Black and, uh, you know, uh, Miro, they're almost never on TV. We haven't seen Adam Cole in an age and, and uh, Kyle O'Reilly and these guys that are, you know, extremely talented wrestlers. So to me, if you're going to can those guys as the uh, the VPs, okay, Kenny Omega, if he goes as VP, just remains his talent, you, you got to let him know. Uh, okay, we are thinning the herd as far as the women's roster. I know that this company in some way, and I don't know if it's Kenny Omega driven or if it's Tony Khan driven, they want the women to be part of the show and, and to be part of the talent roster. But if the talent roster is really bloated and over, you know, and heavier than it needs to be, oh man, is the women's roster uh, heavier than it needs to be? And this, you know, like we've got to have a women's match. You know, they've got two stinking women's titles. Come on, what are you doing? You know, actually, more than that, I'm just talking about singles title because don't they have a women's tag title too? I mean, it's just like so ridiculous. And that's another thing: get rid of about three quarters of these titles because when you have that many titles, guess what, Barry? They don't mean anything. You know, you've got the TNT title. You've got the AEW title. Oh, my. You've got the – what is it that PAC has? Like the All-Atlantic title? What are you, Something, kidding me? Yeah, That's yeah. ridiculous. And you can push a guy without handing him a title. You know, it's like you know, do a couple like a, we're having a tournament to see who the number one contender is. That way you're not giving some guy – I mean, I get it that Tony's a belt hound, you know, but it's getting just way beyond ridiculous. You need to thin the herd. And if that's, you know, giving people uh, the opportunity to go to independent and work independence or uh, go back to the Federation, there are guys that you can sit there and say, hey, you know, if you want out of your contract, go, because they're not going to mean anything. You know, I, I hate to put it this way. There are people on that roster. You mentioned one of them that, you know, Chuck Taylor, 
And you said, might be a nice guy. I don't know. But, you know, Chuck Taylor, if he gets released, is the Federation going to open up a spot? I call it in the Federation. Uh, you know, is WWE going to open up a spot on the roster for Chuck Taylor? I highly doubt it. You know, there are just some guys that I don't see as being, you know, a, a WWE. Now, of course, Adam Cole, if he got released, yeah, of course they'd welcome him back because he's a hell of a talent and he's a name guy for them. But somebody like Chuck Taylor, and I'm just using them as an example, is not. Now, let's talk Malachi Black. And, and you brought up a good point. This guy, and I'm just going to use, use him as an example because there are, geez, countless other examples. This guy, when I first saw him, and I told you, and I mentioned on the show, I said, holy shit, is this guy just, you see money with this guy. His intro was awesome. He's got a different gimmick. The, his wrestling is different. He does the whole, the, the Muay Thai, uh, the kickboxing, whatever it is. Uh, that's something different. He's got a different look. He is not the friggin' same as everybody else. That's the reason why you take this guy and you push him. But no, you don't give him some faction so that you can put him in six man tags that really don't mean anything. You know, you could have aligned him with, with, uh, Julia Hart as his like, you know, little, uh, you know, a valet there or whatever. That's fine. But you really didn't need to make him part of a faction. He was strong enough on his own. You make somebody part of a faction if they're really not that strong on their own. I mean, there are reasons that, that, that guys like Sammy Guevara uh, hooked up with Jericho a couple of years ago because he really wasn't a gnome. And then Jericho gave him the rub, you know, and, and Jake Hager. He gets a rub from being with Jericho, and it makes him mean something. Malachi Black didn't need that. I'm sorry. He was an interesting character on his own and was a, a great talent that I'm like, why the hell isn't this guy going after uh, Brian Danielson? Or why isn't he going after somebody who's like, you know, the, is part of the Blackpool club? Because that would make an interesting matchup. But for whatever reason, they just decided to throw him in with a six-man faction. It makes no freaking sense to me whatsoever. So, Tony Khan, you need to get your ship together. S-H-I-P, Barry. And you also need to get your shit together. You need to show that you're a leader. And being a leader is not saying, I'm not Jim Crockett. My company's not going to run out of money. No, I get that. And, you know, he he, he posted that, you know, that uh, comment or whatever. And people are like, oh, it's your dad's money, dude. It's not yours. Yes, I get that. Okay. But he needs to right the ship because right now the ship is taking on water. And you better start bailing or that ship's going to be in some real trouble because I got news for you. Even if Triple H hadn't taken over and recreated interest and now all of a sudden everyone's like, ooh, let's watch the WWE again. You know, you need to start bailing because, you know, like you said, uh, the, the, what's the company? Warner Brothers Media or whatever. They're going to start noticing all these problems and they're going to start noticing oh, yeah. if, you're, if your ratings take a dip. Okay. And I, you know, I saw Meltzer yesterday posted, you know, whatever the rating is this week, it's going to be an anomaly because if it's like, you know, it just, Figuratively speaking, if it's like 100,000 more people, it's going to be because people are like, well, let's see what the hell's going on with AEW. I heard about all this drama, you know, uh, and if, you know, ne- the week after that, it drops back down 100,000. It's going to mean that they're still, you know, drawing the same people that have always come there. Well, let me ask you a question, Jeff, sure. with that, too. So I'll take a sip of uh, the uh, the Baja yeah, breeze while you're talking. Is that what you have right now? That's what I'm drinking. I, I get Very a little nice. tired of the Mountain Dew, but I like the Baja breeze. Go ahead. Yeah, you know what I've been drinking a lot lately is the Arizona iced tea, Arnold Palmer, half lemonade, half sweet tea. And uh get that baby in the freezer, good and cold, just started right on the cusp of getting icy. 
I find it's a fine beverage. Uh, yeah, you know where you know where you can find that Arizona uh, sweet tea with the uh, half lemonade, half iced tea berry. Where where sir? At all fine Circle K stores around the country. <laughs> Shout out to all our fine Circle K assistant managers. We raise a beverage to you. Keep doing the good work. That was uh boy, I, I set you up for that without even realizing <laughs> what like I was a doing. Volleyball and I hit the it was. Nice job. I didn't even uh I still had no idea Love what you were Kelly, going. Kevin. <laughs> yeah. So uh and I don't know what the fuck I was gonna say. What was I gonna say at this uh, point? Something I uh, no doubt pertinent, I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I, we were just uh there was oh it, this was the question I was going to ask you. Uh it's amazing how we could tie everything either into food or Seinfeld in some form. I was going to ask you, so considering Let's say over the last seven days, AEW has been the hot topic. And maybe this is the biggest story since Vince stepping down. Arguably the two biggest stories this year, at least off the top of my head, Vince stepping down and what happened in AEW. AEW has a, their first live broadcast on network TV last night and a chance to hook people that really hadn't paid attention to AEW previously, where do you rank their efforts last night on Dynamite, Jeff? Well, the MJF promo was, first of all, was gold. Uh, just the way that he sucked those people in coming out wearing the Josh Allen jersey in Buffalo, uh, you know, and uh, uh, putting himself over as a baby face. And then, you know, like all of a sudden, once he's got him hooked in, he he, he just – you know, did the flip to heel and it was, it was absolutely magical. I mean, like, you know, you, you talk about guys that have it. He's obviously got it. Now, the thing that I, I saw someone post, uh, in the group, well, can you believe they did a bit where, uh, these guys rough up an assistant? Uh, you know, the, the, the night or the, the first show after all that stuff happened where, uh, they had the drug, you know, they have to write a wrestling show. They, they can't come out and, uh, you know, do, uh, Two hours of nothing but wrestling matches, no promos, nobody talks about anything. You know, they have to, they have to do something. It was a skit that was designed to get, what the hell is the guy's name? I always forget his name, the new manager. Uh, Stokely Hathaway. That's why. And by the way, talk about thinning the roster. Please tell me what that guy brings because I just, that, that guy to me is not like, uh, wow, this guy's really got it and he's, he's being very effective. First of all, Part of that is they gave him a group of nobodies, okay, essentially. Yes. And uh with the exception maybe of Ethan Page, who I see is affiliated with him. Or Morrissey. But, I think Morrissey, he could he could put some butts in seats. Yeah. But, you know, like, it's just like this is a, a an unnecessary group that's taking up network TV time. You know, it, it's just not something that's good. And the other thing, you know, they've got people on that company that can talk, you know. And I'm not saying this guy can't talk. I'm just saying – it's not to the point where, you know, MJF comes out and you're like, oh, I'm going to want to listen to what this guy has to say because he's friggin' magic on the mic. OK, Stokely Hathaway comes out. I'm not sitting there hanging on every friggin' word. And it was one of the things I said when I was talking to somebody, I said, you know, as an idea, I said, you know, if they want to thin the company out, why don't they give Adam Cole Britt Baker and have Britt Baker come out there and, and Adam Cole is fine on, on the mic. I don't have any problems, but Britt Baker, let's be honest. She has a certain level of 
interaction with the fans and heat with them. And she's very intelligent with like, you know, when they go to Cleveland and she'll wear the Steelers jersey, that's just like real subtle shit uh, that gets her heat. And she's very good in that role. And I think she would be really good. And I'm just throwing an idea out there. But instead of wasting time on somebody who's essentially they're they're making them if you want to give Stokely Hathaway something to do and make him a manager, give him a name and put his guy over strong. You know, don't give him like a bunch of like kind of reject guys or, you know, bottom feeder guys. And you're now the uh, the guy that's managing all the opening uh, opening match guys. You don't mean anything. You know, you need to give him something like where he's going to mean something when he comes out there. And, you know, like that's just like last night. And I get it. They wanted to put Wardlow over strong. But word, Tony Nice now means nothing. Oh, Tony, which is a shame. And I got to say, and I, I was discussing Tony Nice with somebody, I guess, a couple of weeks back. And Tony Nice is a guy that conceivably has everything. He can wrestle. He looks great. He's about as exciting as vanilla ice cream. He's got no charisma. But to your point, what you just said, a complete and utter burial by, by, by Wordlow. On television, with that, Wardlow is another one that came out and basically shot and said, everybody's saying I've lost it and I don't have it. I'm going to get it back. But he's right. And I'm not, I don't think it's Wardlow's fault. It's the booking. It's yeah. the way he's been booked. It's just been terrible. And, Jeff, and- I, uh, I, I pulled this up because oh. we were just, I, well, yeah, I, I pulled that out, but oh, please, uh, not on the show, Barry. We, it's well, a family show, right? Except for the Patreon. Okay. Uh, yes. I, I read that CM Punk has suffered a torn left triceps, which did occur during that tope that you and I were talking about. So he's going to have to have surgery, and I would imagine he's going to be out for some time. I can't see him coming back, though. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I would highly doubt it. Yeah. But uh, to what you were saying, though, Wardlow is another example. Malachi Black, uh, you know, Miro. How many guys have they started to push, and you're sitting there going, Wow, this is really good stuff. And what happened? You know, you and I talked six months ago about, hey, you remember when they were when they were pushing Vicky Guerrero as being a big signing from the Federation? And oh, like, yeah. she was on there for like three shows along with her. Uh, I don't even remember what the name of the woman Nyla was. Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose. And then like all of a sudden, uh, you know, you might as well do unsolved mysteries on those two because we haven't seen them, you know, hiding her hair of them. And how many months now? It's just like. Quit taking these people and signing them and going, woohoo, we signed these guys or this, these ladies, and you put them on for two or three weeks, and all of a sudden, boom, uh, you know, it's like you put out the uh, Doppler radar looking for them because they're gone. Yeah, and I, I think Nyla Rose was teaming with Serena Deeb or somebody, but but that was that was occurring mostly on Dark and I guess Rampage to some degree, but that is the general progression. Dynamite's the main show. Other people they put on uh, Rampage, or and if you get put on Dark and like YouTube and shit, it, really I don't know how many people are watching it. But here's another one for you: What about all the ROH guys? What about guys like Samoa Joe and Claudio Castagnoli that we see really infrequently by this stage? You know, you've got you've got these two guys, which both came to us directly from the competition, and you feature them for a couple of weeks. And then you kind of put him to the side and bigger picture, what's going to happen to ROH? What, what's he going to do? Is it going to be what we're seeing where ROH is just merged into AEW? And when will this take place? And here's even the bigger issue, Jeff. My God, do we have a lot of issues, right? With AEW. 
apparently Tony Khan is doing every role from A to Z. That Tony Khan is your booker. He does all this stuff. He's the guy coming up with the finishes and the matches. Tony Khan is in at that point to say he's stretched thin would probably be an understatement. So uh, we're seeing the cracks. We're seeing the cracks of what's happened. And as you said, I never even thought about what if Sharif Khan says, you know what? Uh, I'm so fucking over the Urban Meyer shit from a year ago and I don't want to deal with this AEW shit. My Jaguars suck to begin with. I, I should be more focused on that. We're shutting down AEW. He could do it, Jeff. I mean, I never thought about it and I would be bummed if that, if that took place. I, I like Tony Khan overall. I think, and this is me, I believe his heart is in the right place. And I think he's a huge wrestling fan. Fuck Jeff, you used to communicate with him 30 years ago, 35 years ago. So this guy's a lifelong wrestling fan that just has the money that he could run and create his own promotion. But by the same token, and, and the more I think about it, the more that's a real possibility. At some point, they say, okay, we're losing all this money. You know what? Let's just pull the plug. Son, I'm proud of you, but this is a vanity project. If you're blowing money after four years and you're losing money after four years, it's time to wrap this up, right? That's what any business class in any university in this country would tell you. It's time to wrap it up. I uh, I hate to think that may happen, but I, I do think that's a real possibility now. And it, just to wrap this up, because we don't want to make this entire episode about AEW, but it's a compelling subject. You know, uh, when I when I talked about, uh, you know, Tony and that he needs to take a firm hand in this. You know, I understand you've got all these wrestlers under contract now, you know, because uh, wrestling is not what it used to be, where, you know, literally, he, you know, 40 years ago, he could have walked into the dressing room and going, you, 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 you're all fired. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, you can't do that now. Uh, but one of the things that AEW sort of uh, promoted themselves as as the kinder, gentler wrestling promotion. Oh, we, you know, we, we care about your feelings and we want you, we want to support you emotionally. And, and when you have a, a physical injury and that's great that they do that. Okay. More power to them, but you have to suspect and wonder how many guys in that dressing room, when they sit there and uh, they're in the dressing room by themselves, you talk about the clicks and stuff like that are sitting there going, Oh my God, this fucking Mark that's running the company, because let's fig- let's face it. They all think Tony's a mark, whether they want to say that or not. That's sure. what they're all thinking. Okay. Just like there are people out there, uh, in the wrestling universe, whether it's a uh, fandom, uh, other promotions, the internet, Twitter, whatever, they're all going, ah, oh, Tony Khan, he's a fucking mark. Okay. And if they're saying it in the dressing room, they're sure as hell, or if they're saying it on the internet, they're sure as hell saying it in the dressing room. And he needs to sit there and, and just, you know, he needs to be able to also talking about what you just discussed. He needs to start you know, like, uh, handing out some duties to uh, somebody else, you know, like, uh, Hey, uh, Chris Jericho, uh, I really need some help, uh, you know, with, uh, the, the, uh, the ideas and stuff like that. And, you know, let's face it, you know, while I want you on our big shows because you're a name and, and you're, you're a real talent, I also want you to book ROH. Okay. Uh, hey, Dustin, I want you to be responsible for all the content on uh, uh, After Dark. Uh, you know, hey, uh, Brian Danielson, I want you to be responsible for Rampage and all the stuff that happened. You know, and I'm just using that as an example. You know, take some of this stuff that you've been doing and pass it out to somebody else to give yourself. Otherwise, you're right. He's And he's already got health concerns that you talked about. 
guy's going to friggin' stroke out. He's not even, what, 40 years old or maybe a little bit older than that. You know, like, don't do that to yourself. Good Lord, you're a billionaire. You can afford to part and parcel out different duties to other people. And if you don't do it, you're going to friggin' lose the company. Very time again for Florida Man or Not. I want to thank all the people that have been sending us the stories. David Edelman, who I mentioned last week, uh, Russell Rollerson uh, sent me some stories, Bruce Cohen. Uh, folks, we certainly appreciate all the stuff being submitted. Some of them we uh, we use, some of them we don't, as I said. And not a big fan of these stories involving death, but that's another story for another time. The first headline, Barry, are you ready? No, Jeff, I'm never ready. But please as usual, ahead. you are never ready. Yes. Uh, the headline teacher twerked on student, pressured him to drink. A former teacher at a private Christian school, Barry, where they're known to be, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to twerk with the students, previously accused of sexting with a student, was arrested again Tuesday on more charges. Julie Hoover, 39, now faces a new misdemeanor charge of contributing to the delinquency of a minor and a second felony charge of an authority figure soliciting or engaging in lewd conduct with a student. The charges stem from the school's prom on April 8th. A student told investigators Hoover was pressuring him to drink alcohol at the event, even forcing the straw from her cup into his mouth. What a little narc this kid is. (laughs) An administrator told investigators staff had the alcohol in the back room to drink after the event. This is a, this is, this is a fun Christian school, Barry. Uh, <laughs> the student also said when he was on or near the dance floor, Hoover was twerking on him, making him feel uncomfortable. At least two other people corroborated the story and told investigators they got in between Hoover and the student several times trying to get the teacher to stop. Barry Rose, Florida woman or not? Oh, so there was no clue. Yeah, yes, there was yes. no clue because I deliberately avoided the clue. I know you did. So there's nothing there that tells me where this is from. Do I roll the dice? David Edelman. He's ten. This is a Florida story. Yes. I didn't say it was David Edelman. No, I know you did it, but you mentioned okay. the name earlier. And I know that he's been your your dealer. On these Florida men are not stories. Yes, we, we meet outside the Circle K. Uh, <laughs> in the parking lot. And David says, oh, okay, I got the two stories for you here. Right? Exactly. I'm paying $5 for a nickel bag of stories. <laughs> Perry, Florida, Barry. Woo! Taylor County, you familiar with Perry, Florida? No, I've never heard of it. Okay. Well, that, apparently the Christian schools in Perry, Florida, a little bit more liberal than the majority of the Christian schools that uh, I've been familiar with in my past, Barry. The next story. And now, Barry, I'm just going to tell you this headline. It's something that you and I, it's a problem that you and I also have to deal with. Barry, the headline reads, woman claims she was arrested at airport for, quote, being too good looking. Again, Barry, this is oh, yeah. a problem for both of us. You oh, know, absolutely. Been yeah. years. Uh, a woman arrested for skipping out on a tab at an airport restaurant accused police of harassing her because she was too good looking. Hand Bustami left a Chili's Tex-Mex uh, outpost at an airport last Wednesday without paying her bill. Police called to the scene, found the self-described, quote, hospitality professional, unquote. I, I want to know what that means, by the way, Barry. Sleeping near the security checkpoint, hindering their operations. She was eventually arrested by baggage, by the baggage claim where an arrest report said that she appeared to be intoxicated and was, quote, belligerent. And I had to pop up there. Uh, she was belligerent with officers. She claimed she was being harassed because cops had never seen anyone as pretty as her. Oh, Barry, it's her cross to bear. 
to bury <laughs> Florida woman or not. Oh, Florida woman or not. Again, uh, not a lot of hints. There's Jordan, that's uh, I'm being careful here. You are. I am going to say this one is not Florida. Las Vegas, Nevada. Woo! Place at Harry Reid International Airport, Barry. Uh, Barry, have you ever had the issue of being just too damn good looking and it puts you in a situation? Oh yeah, I'm uh, there. I, I every day I have to fight off uh, the flies that buzz me, uh, which I'm assuming is because I'm too good looking. But uh, I was actually a cute kid. But those days are long gone, right, Jeff? Well, I can tell you that uh, you know all my wives uh, have listed uh, the reason that they married me was in fact because I was so good looking. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened at some point. I don't know if it was the cancer, but uh, those days long since passed, Barry. Yeah, well, I, th- I think you're still beautiful. So I Thank you. Uh, I appreciate yeah. it. You're you're like a, you're kind of a pretty boy. I don't know if I'd call you beautiful. <laughs> pretty boy. Yeah, that's me. Barry, stop the presses. Uh-oh. Haven't heard that phrase in a while. We used to hear all that in the movies. Hey, stop the presses. But, Barry, for you and the listeners, I offer additional Florida man or not stories because we're nothing if not what? If the next CWF Legends Fan Fest, which, by the way, coming up November the 5th in just a few short weeks, I'm going to present you with a T-shirt, and it's going to be a big T-shirt. It's going to Are you trying to make a fat comment there? That's, what, it, I, that's like, what kind of came out as. I apologize with that. It, it'll be a nice T-shirt. I'll get a nice color. Right on the front, Jeff, it's going to say Giver in all that, bold letters. That's That's what we are. So, Barry Rose, I offer you even more Florida Men Are Not stories for our listeners. All right. Here's the headline, Barry. <clears throat> and you can imagine uh, after we get into the story how awkward this situation might be. Uh, by the way, it reminds me, did you ever see, oh, God, what was the uh, name of the Jim Carrey movie? I absolutely love it where he's the guy with the split personality. Me, myself, and Irene? Yes. Okay. This okay. was a situation that happened in that movie. The headline, Barry, <clears throat> mom gives birth to twins with different dads after having sex with two men on oh. the same day. All right. Hashtag awkward Uh, the new mom the story goes had a one in a million conception her babies may be twins but they have different bio dads 19 year old woman gave birth to twins nine months after having nine months after having sex with two men on the same day that's shameless uh see as their first birthdays loomed she began having doubts over who the father was so she decided to take paternity test to confirm her suspicions According to local news outlets, the anonymous woman, hey, gee, go figure, she wants to remain anonymous, oh, originally yeah. suspected only one of the two men to be the father of the twins, so she collected his DNA, but it only turned up positive for one of the children. Quote, I remember that I had sex with another man and called him to take a, the test, which was positive, the new mom, who asked not to be identified, said. Oh, I was surprised by the results. I didn't know this could happen. They are very similar. While this phenomenon is jaw-dropping, it's certainly not impossible. According to a uh, a physician, the babies share the mother's genetic material, but they grow in different placentas. There is a word for this condition that, (laughs) get ready, Barry, I'm going to put on my Uh dog cap here. Hetero, uh, I'm sorry, heteropaternal superfecundation. Oh, yeah. Which I'm sure you're familiar with that, Yeah. But uh, it's an extremely rare phenomenon that occurs when a second uh, ova released during the menstrual cycle is this is way too medical, Barry. Uh, but anyway, you uh, should hit the fan. Let's put it that way. All right. Barry Rose, did this happen in Florida or Ooh. somewhere else? 
So there, there is so much to absorb with that story. First off, it, and I never knew that could exist, but I have like seen the stories where a baby, there are twins born. <laughs> Lou said that's his favorite song from Mary Poppins. That's a good one, Lou. And, and sometimes the baby, I remember a case where the baby was born. One of the twins born Caucasian. The other was, uh, was black. I question, are they twins if they're not, if they're in a different, placenta at that point i don't know for some reason i want to say i i should also say if she's 19 and having unprotected sex with two different men on the same day i bet there's more to this story gee you figure i do i i have a feeling that had we stretched this out over a couple of months those numbers would have increased in some form i am going to say this is not florida i for some reason have the uk or england in my uh on my mind right now she may very well be barry the girl from ipanema brazil oh even better shit all right so now barry i will give you a hint on this next story okay this is not a wait is it okay if i can just visualize a brazilian woman having multiple sex partners on the same and she's 19 is Look, that what crazy? you have in your dvd catalog is completely up to you my friend all yeah, right I'm, all right because i'm, I'm sure, you, sure you've got some rather sketchy stuff there i'm going to tell you that this is not a florida man or woman story this isn't even a united states story all right. i just want you to determine the country of origin okay? all right fair <clears throat> the headline reads, Barry, country seizes donkey penises to be smuggled to Hong Kong, which right away, that's that's a top notch headline. I got to say uh, officials have seized thousands of donkey uh, donkey donkey penises that were about to be exported to Hong Kong. An official said on Thursday, sacks of donkey. Uh, why the hell? Just go I with it. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Donkey male genitals <laughs> were seized at an international airport. According to customs official, the consignment was, quote, falsely declared as cow male genitals. But after due examination, export officials determined they were, in fact, donkey genitals. So apparently there's some guy that knows the differences between a nice, you know, like uh, your steer cock and your donkey cock. Sure. You know, he, he apparently went to school for that. I don't know. Barry Rose, which country did these donkey uh <laughs> Cox, just go on. with it. I'm enjoying. No, no, I didn't make a mistake that time. I did it deliberately. Okay. Thank you. Oh. So let's see. We can basically get Brazil out of the way right now. Uh, based donkeys off of, in Brazil. So I, I think lots of them, but you've already got the the hot Brazilian 19 year old having unprotected multiple partner sex in the same day. So I think it's a different. There's donkeys being cut off and sent uh, overseas. Donkeys. It's this is Mexico. These donkey. I mean, of course, right? I mean, could I be any more well, stereotypical? First of all, Lou hasn't chimed in yet, so I guess there was no Mary Poppins song about uh, you know donkey penises. So okay. no, in fact, Barry, this is Nigeria. We went to oh. Africa for this one. So uh, anyway, uh, next story. <clears throat> the headline reads: Barry Bear crashes two-year-old's birthday party. Oh. I hate when that happens. Uh, so uh, it says here. Uh, the Disney magic at a birthday party got a little too real last weekend after an unexpected visitor crashed the occasion. Uh, friends and family were celebrating little Cyrus's second birthday in the backyard with an inflatable si uh, slide, Mickey Mouse goodie bags, and, of course, food. 
As the Jungle Book's iconic song, Bare Necessities, was playing in the background. Hey, Barry, you familiar with that song? Necessities, a simple bare necessity. Yeah, look at you, like a Disney About dad. your worries and your learns. Yeah, I, I, I am familiar, yes. Yeah, please, no more, please. All right. Uh, an actual bear showed up, according to a post on Facebook. What? Guests got away from the bear, escaping into the house. Uh, gee, go figure. They decided to get away from the bear. Uh, remember Aww. the old uh, Saturday Night Live uh, skit where the guy, uh, I don't know if it was one of the lounge singer uh, uh, episodes, you know, like skits or whatever, but they had the guy who had half his face uh, uh, mauled. And he said, yeah, I, I learned you shouldn't do this with bears. You should, And he puts a marshmallow in his mouth. He goes, you shouldn't fe- feed a bear this way. <laughs> no, I like it though. Yeah, this so. w- this wasn't Fred Garvin male yeah, prostitute, male prostitute was it? Yes. <laughs> I have an elaborate elaborate series of trusses. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, from a house yes, window, the bear could be seen at the picnic table where the kids were moments before devouring the cupcakes on the two tiered tower. Try saying oh. that four times fast. The bear ate more than his portion of the cupcakes. Said a post a person on the Facebook post. It was caught on camera. Someone yelled in the background, that's a big bear. No, no relation to bear, Barry Rose. So Barry Rose, Florida man or not. A lot to absorb with that story right there. It's, our stories have a lot to absorb. I will say they, that. They do. They do. You don't get this on other podcasts at all. There are you think bears. Jim Cornette is telling stories about bears you know, breaking into birthday parties? Hell no. You come to us for that kind of content. You do, exactly. I, I am going to say this did not take place in Florida. I'm going to say this took place in Tennessee somewhere. West Hartford, Connecticut, Bear. Oh, wow. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, let's see here. Uh, you ever been to West Hartford before? I've tried to stay away from West Hartford. I had uh, relatives that lived in Greenwich. Okay. Uh, not the McMahons, but. I was going to say, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I've been to West Hartford, I believe, once, and uh, yeah. And if anybody lives there, what a wonderful town it is! So, I, yeah, I remember. Uh, speaking of the aforementioned Jim Cornette, uh, Jim said there was a, 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 a sincere lack of quality food options in Connecticut when he lived there while he was working for the uh, the former Federation. Last story, Barry. Man goes through McDonald's drive-thru on horseback, gallops off with 100 chicken nuggets. <clears throat> the story goes, they didn't say nay to this customer. That's a, that's that's clever writing, huh? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. It was the New York Post that wrote this article. A man nonchalantly ordered 100 chicken nuggets while on horseback at a McDonald's drive-thru. All right. We were hungry, man, the writer who che- was cheered on says in a clip. Uh, showing him leaving the drive-thru after patiently waiting behind a blue sedan at the, at the takeout. Neither staff nor bystanders once said, what the hey, during the video, the worker who took his order seemed more taken aback that the man had ordered 100 nuggets for himself. So, Barry Rose, before I ask you, Florida man or not, uh, have you ever seen, and this popped up on my YouTube feed not too long ago, you ever seen the videos of the, the guy at Halloween that uh, will dress up as, like, the headless horseman or the headless man? And he goes through the McDonald's drive-thru. You ever seen those videos? I have seen those videos. And, and, the, yeah. and the people working the drive-thru window, like, kind of turn to this guy without a head, and they completely, like, lose their shit. Yeah, good times. So, Barry Rose, that being said, is this a Florida man or not? All right, hold on. I, I've got moving Montana's over there. 
Okay, and then we did Connecticut last time, and then if I'm doing, then Des Moines, Iowa is over. This is Florida Man on this one. Eh, you are incorrect. As oh. a matter of fact, this <clears throat> is from the home country of our friend Alan Blackstock, huh? London, England. 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 Like Not England. 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 I like it. He was a good guest, by the way, Jeff. We should have him back on at some point. Absolutely. Barry, it has been another jam-packed episode breaking kayfabe. We had a little AEW talk. Uh, we had a little Florida man or not. We had a story about a friggin' car dealership that managed to lose a guy's car. The Gus Machado episode, Barry, how great was it? And we should say, too, Sweet Lou coming forth with deep, deep research as always. You've been out of South Florida now for, what, three years, Jeff? Is that right? At least, yes. Yeah, and I've been gone for, shit, 28 years? Almost almost 29 years. Apparently, Gus Machado passing away four or five months ago at the ripe old age of 87. Gus Machado, as Jeff said, this episode is named after you. Rest in peace. Barry, let's raise an adult beverage. All right. Along with our South Florida brothers, Dave, Greg, Howard, Craig, all you guys, I know you remember, uh, and Peter, uh, the, the late, great Gus Machado, we raise an adult beverage to your memory, sir. And on that note, on behalf of Barry Rose and our producer, Sweet Lou Kippelman, I will tell you that I am Jeff Bowdrin. Sometimes they call me the booker. Sometimes they call me Gus Machado. And we will see you next week for episode 259 of Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry, which means, Barry, at that point, we will be one freaking week away from five years. Take it home, Lou.